Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message titled, When Christians Clash. All right, so last week we saw that a false doctrine was uh, permeating the churches around AD 49. Certain men were going around and they were teaching that salvation can be attained through circumcision and through keeping the law of Moses. So thank God, way back then in AD 49, there was courageous men like Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James who said no, and they refuted that false doctrine in a gathering that's been called the Jerusalem Council. And so in that Jerusalem Council, when all was said and done, the apostles and the elders, they agreed with Peter. Peter, who teaches us that as believers in Jesus Christ, our hearts are cleansed by faith, and faith alone. That's found in verse nine of chapter 15. And not only that, but Peter went on to say that we will be saved, listen to this, by grace. And so that's found in verse 10 of chapter 15. Put another way, salvation, as you've heard me say a million times, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from any meritorious works. And so when the Jerusalem council was over, Paul and Barnabas got on their donkeys or camels, whatever, they headed north and it went 300 miles back up to their home church in Antioch of, of Syria, where they continued doing what I'm doing right here, they continued in their ministry of preaching and teaching the word of God. And so that was last week, this week we pick it up today in verse 36 of chapter 15. And so after some days, being in Antioch, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Okay, and so now it's right around AD 50. It's been a very long time since Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. And so Paul looks at Barnabas and said, my friend, it's time now for a second missionary journey. All right, so let's go back to Lystra and Iconium and Derby and Antioch of Pisidia, all those places we went on our first missionary journey. Let's go back and see how the people that we won to Jesus, let's see how they're doing. I love Paul's heart. Because Paul didn't want to just win people to Christ. Paul wanted to disciple people, to see them grow in their faith. And so that's a good thing. And so as they prepared for their next journey, as Paul and Barnabas are packing their bags for a second missionary journey, John Mark came up in their conversation. All right, so we, we look now at verse 37. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. You guys remember him? Okay, verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So if you remember back in chapter 13, Mark went on the first missionary journey as Paul and Barnabas' assistant. Okay, and so in Colossians 4.10, it says that Mark was Barnabas' cousin. Okay, so you have the older Barnabas, you have the young man, John Mark, they're cousins, and no doubt Barnabas looked at this young man and said, wow, this first missionary journey, what a great opportunity for him to develop spiritually. He can come along as our assistant. 
You know, he can set up and tear down tents, buy food, you know, secure the, the, the tickets for selling across the Mediterranean, et cetera, et cetera. And so the three men, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark as their assistant, got in the boat. They went to the island of Cyprus. You, you guys remember all this. They, the Lord used them in a great way on the island of Cyprus. They finished up that, the ministry on that island. They got on another boat, headed north up to modern-day Turkey, Pamphylia, specifically the city of Perga. And it was in Perga that it happened. They get up one morning, Mark looks at Paul and Barnabas and says, guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm going home. And he got on a ship and he sailed back to Judea. Now why, and by the way, that's disappointing. And so why did Mark quit? Why did Mark leave? And some say, as I said about a month ago, that uh, they believe that he was homesick. He missed mama in Jerusalem. So he went back home. Other people say the mission work got too hard for him. And if you can't take the heat, you know, you get out of the kitchen. And so that, that's what some people think. Other people say, well, no, he actually was not called by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13, one through three, the Spirit said, set apart for me solemn Barnabas for the work. He never said the, the, the name Mark. And so everybody's got their opinion. But the fact of the matter is, is that the author of Acts, Luke, never tells us why. He never tells us why Mark quit, but here's what we know, that whatever the reason was, it bothered Paul. When Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas, Paul's trust in this young man was shaken to the core. Now we come to the end of Acts chapter 15, and Paul goes to Barnabas, hey, my friend, it's time for a second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, great, hey, Paul, do you mind if we bring along Mark? And Paul said, yes, I mind. <laughs> He's not coming with us. And Barnabas said something like, come on, Paul. You know, I see potential in him. Let's give him a second chance. We can do this, right? This is Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement. Let's, let's give him a second chance. And Paul said something like, no, we can't risk it. He's not reliable. Barnabas, don't you remember how hostile those crowds were in Lystra? They stoned me and left me for dead. How do you think young John Mark's gonna handle that type of situation? No, it's out of the question, conversation over. The conversation was far from over. Look at verse 39. It says, and there arose a, if you have ESV, what are the next two words? They're going at it. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that Paul and Barnabas separated from each other. How sad. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers, this is the elders in Antioch, to the grace of the Lord. So the elders of Antioch laid hands on Paul and Silas and sent them out just like they sent Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey. Verse 41, and he, Paul, and so now just so you know, if you're new to Acts, for the rest of Acts, the, the Holy Spirit is gonna follow Paul, not Barnabas. And he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul and Barnabas let their argument escalate way too far. And the sad part about it is it led 
to the two men separating one from another. Neither guy would back down. The Greek word in verse 39 that's translated in the ESV as sharp disagreement, it's a very strong word, okay? And so Chuck Swindoll, who by the way, um, if you're not familiar with his ministry, he's been a pastor for decades, faithful man of God, great expositor of the word, and he's also a Greek scholar. And so I'm not gonna try to pronounce the transliteration of this Greek word, uh, but nonetheless, it is in, uh, translated in the ESV as sharp disagreement. Check out um, how this word is used in other contexts back then in the first century. Swindoll says, classical Greek medical writers use the word to describe a sudden, violent spasm, such as a body-racking cough or an epileptic seizure. All right, so what happened between Paul and Paul and Barnabas was not a minor disagreement. We're talking about a major outburst. Like, like somebody who's got advanced stage, he's in the advanced stages of, of COPD, coughing uncontrollably, or like a, a person who has epilepsy having a seizure, Paul and Barnabas went at it. And the Greek verbs in verses 37 and 38 indicated um, indicate that there was an ongoing argument. So they went at it, and then they continued to go at it. So they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, there you go. That's Paul and Barnabas. Like two rams, butting head. They just kept clashing over and over. Boom, right? Boom. All right, question. Should they have allowed this difference of opinion to get so out of hand? No. If anybody in the church knew better, they knew better. Especially when you realize, ladies and gentlemen, this was not an argument over doctrine. This was a difference of opinion here as to whether or not this young man should go on the next missionary journey. Now, when it comes to doctrine, if you're with me here, say amen. This is important. When it comes to doctrine, Jude verse three says this, and I quote, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. All right? So when it comes to the body of truth that we call the New Testament, when it comes to the, the, the faith that Jesus Christ and the apostles handed down once and for all to the church, ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, we contend earnestly. In other words, we fight hard for this body of truth and we don't back down. Now, we're civil, we speak the truth in love, but nonetheless, we cannot ever back down for, uh, concerning the, the truth of God's word. If you agree with that, say amen. All right, but, but here's the thing, Paul and Barnabas' argument was not over doctrine. Again, it was a difference of opinion and it sadly led to the separation of two friends. Bad news, but here's the good news in all of this. As you uh, read earlier in verses 39 through 40, after their split, now all of a sudden, one team became two teams, okay? And so Paul took Silas, they went north to Syria and then over to Cilicia, and Barnabas took Mark, and they went west back to the island of Cyprus. Before, there was only one missionary team. Now there's two missionary teams, and so now twice the work is accomplished for God. 
By the way, aren't you glad God is sovereign even when we mess up? He's a sovereign God. He is absolutely in control. The uh, more good news is that there's evidence from 1 Corinthians 9, 6 that Paul and Barnabas made up. This is good news. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul, and by the way, this happens around AD 49, Corinthians will be written later, okay? And so later, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul writes very, in a very positive way about his friend Barnabas. So that's evidence that these two guys made up at some point. More good news is that after Barnabas took Mark under his wing and discipled him, young John Mark grew spiritually. He grew spiritually to the point that in later years, Paul writes in some of his epistles about how useful, how helpful John Mark is to his ministry. Mark actually became, in later years, part of Paul's team when he was under house arrest in Rome. And not only that, you guys all know that God used Mark to write what book of the Bible? The Gospel of Mark. Here's what you need to know. If you've blown it, our God is a God of second chances. Right, he's not done. Listen, he's not even close to being done with you. If you've fallen, guess what? The Lord says, I love you and I have a plan for your life and if you just knew what I wanna do in your life, man, you would get up so fast and run back to me. As I always say to you guys, there's always two voices when we fall down, right? There's always two voices speaking in your ears. The question is, which voice will you listen to? The sad part is a lot of Christians mix up the two voices. All right, so when you're on the ground and you're hurt and you're bleeding because you messed up, you made bad choices, right, and you're down there and you're suffering, the voice that is kicking you while you're down, telling you how no good you are and condemning you is not the voice of our good, good father. It is the voice of Satan. And I've always said this, how do you know Satan's lying? His lips are moving. So stop listening to that voice and start listening to the voice of your father who will always say when you're down and out, he's not gonna condemn you. He's gonna say, son, daughter, I love you. Come on, let me help you get back up. Let's wipe you off. I've got a great plan for your life. Let's keep moving forward. That's what God did in the life of John Mark. And so be encouraged this morning if you've blown it. God is not done with you yet. Having said all that, Paul and Barnabas still should not have allowed this argument to escalate and become so intense. Here's the reality in the family of God. Sometimes Christians clash. The bad news is that sometimes Christians get into arguments and they get in the flesh. And what happens is they allow their flesh to dominate the situation and it gets bad, uh, worse and worse, all right? The good news is forgiveness and reconciliation is always available to us as the children of God. So how do we handle conflict, all right? So the first thing you need to know, and this is the first fill-in on your sheet if you wanna engage with a message this morning, is that different personalities may lead to conflict. Different personalities may lead to conflict. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is that Paul was a driven leader. Barnabas was a nurturing leader. 
All right, so Paul was this, this driven leader and he knew I've got an important task to do. And so if I've got an important task to do for God, I'm gonna make sure that the people I surround myself with are reliable people, people that I can count on. He was driven. Barnabas, on the other hand, was a nurturing leader. He had more of a pastor's heart. He was the son of encouragement. He wanted to give his young cousin a second chance. He wanted to take him under his wing. He wanted to help disciple him and see this young guy grow. Now, do not, please, do not answer out loud, okay? Go like this if you're not gonna answer out loud. All right, answer this in your heart. Who was right? Who was right? Now, let me ask you this question as we try to figure out who was right and who was wrong. And it's okay for you to answer out loud now. When you've got an important job to do, isn't it right to find people to help you who you can rely on and count on? Isn't that right? Yes or no? Yes. Now, switch gears. When someone's down and out as Christians, isn't it right for us to want to see them get a second chance and keep moving forward? Yes or no? You answer out loud. Yes. Here's the reality. Paul and Barnabas were both right because they both had valid points. I love what A.T. Robertson said. This is the next fill-in on your sheet if you're taking notes. No one can rightly blame Barnabas for giving his cousin John Mark a second chance nor Paul for fearing to risk him again. One's judgment may go with Paul and one's heart may go with Barnabas. You see how this is working out? And so our judgment would say, Paul makes sense. You cannot rely on unreliable people. But our heart says, Barnabas makes sense because all of us need a second chance. We all need a second chance to keep moving forward. And so who was right? Both of them. Listen to this, who was wrong? Both of them, right? They were both right concerning their motives, but they were both wrong concerning their methods because they let the situation get out of hand. There is a right way to handle conflict and there is a wrong way to handle conflict, okay? And so Jesus Christ told us the right way to handle conflict. So we are done in Acts until next week. I want you to turn left now and please go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Now how many of you guys believe Jesus really is the Son of God? He knows what he's talking about. His word is truth. Okay, so this is our king talking right here, and we're his people, and so this is the way that we should resolve conflict. He shared it, it's very, very, very clear. So Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him, what's the next word? Alone, so important. Jesus did not say, if your brother sins against you, go on Facebook and talk about it. <laughs> it's just not there. It's not even in the original Greek. It's not there. 
alone, privacy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to honor each other in, this, in, in conflict resolution. No one wants their dirty laundry aired out for everybody to know about. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay, so this is the goal of conflict resolution. And by the way, there's church discipline involved in all this, which I don't have time to get into in this message. But the goal of conflict resolution, the goal of church discipline is always reconciliation. Right, if he, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Happy day. Verse 16, but, because Jesus knows we're all fallen, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. So the Lord's taking a principle of the law of Moses from Deuteronomy and applying it here for step number two. Take one or two people with you. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, I personally believe, as I interpret scripture with scripture, that the word church there does not mean if, if um, Johnny and Susie are having a fight, that I'm gonna bring them up on Sunday morning and talk about that before everybody in the church. It's not what Jesus was talking about. When you allow scripture to interpret scripture and you take, go to 1 Corinthians and you see that the Corinthians in their carnality were having disputes and they were letting the unbelievers outside the church arbitrate between their disagreements and Paul comes down on them and says, isn't there anybody wise enough in the church to arbitrate these matters? He's talking about church leadership. So take it to the church does not mean air everybody's dirty laundry before everybody at 9 a.m. Sunday morning. It's talking about privately still, you go to the church leadership, pastors, elders. I'm still in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church i.e. leadership, and if he refuses to listen even to the church. <laughs> okay, so this guy is rebellious. He's stubborn, right? Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so three very clear steps that Jesus gives us in conflict resolution. Number one, if you're in a, in, in a conflict with someone, they sin against you, go to that person alone. Keep it private, no gossip allowed. Number two, if he doesn't listen, then you take one or two mature believers with you. Not people who are stacked with you and agree with you and you're gonna go fight this person, no. Two objective, spirit-filled, mature people go with you privately. Again, no gossip allowed. If the guy still doesn't listen, then you go to the church, the pastors and the elders. If he won't even listen to spirit-filled pastors and elders in the situation, then you got a stubborn, prideful, rebellious person whose influence is potentially destructive to the church family. And so that's when the, the, the church leadership sometimes has to step in because the most loving thing that a church leadership can do is protect their flock from someone whose influence can be toxic. Does this make sense to you guys? Now all along, the goal is reconciliation. So even at that point, and by the way, in, in America, this rarely gets to this point, because if, if it gets down to after step two, what do people usually do? In America, you just go down the street and go to the next church. But back, back, back in these times, it was different. You stuck with your local church, because God's called you to that local church, and you work it out, and you follow Jesus' words. Step one, step two, step three, 
And so the goal of this is reconciliation. If it ever gets beyond step three, then the church leadership still needs to try to have contact with this person, still be praying for this person, and still hope that this person has a change of heart as we've seen in the book of Corinthians whenever that young guy got into, um, uh, went through uh, church discipline. Now, as you go through these steps, especially steps one and two, as you go through these steps in conflict resolution, it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that you have the right attitude. Attitude is everything. The right attitude, the right attitude allows there a greater possibility be, to be recon, uh, for there to be reconciliation. But ladies and gentlemen, the wrong attitude, it's like pouring gas on a fire. It's just not good. So for the rest of our message, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the four Beatitudes for conflict resolution. The four Beatitudes for conflict resolution. Now these attitudes that I'm gonna give you, they will go a long way in helping you and I to solve conflict in a godly way. Whether or not we're dealing with believers or unbelievers, it doesn't matter. If we can implement, by the help of the Spirit, these four attitudes as we go through the steps of Jesus that he gave us, man, we could really see a lot of reconciliation take place. All right, so if you're taking notes, here's your next fill-in. The first B attitude is, be what? Prayerful. Prayerful. That means you bring God in <laughs> right away. As soon as you can, you bring the Lord in. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in how many things? Everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the, what of God? Peace of God, there it is, that's what we all need. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, conflicts are filled with negative emotion. And the worst thing that we could ever do is allow those negative emotions <clears throat> to dominate ourselves and the situation that we're dealing with. It's the worst thing. If you try to handle conflict while you're hurt, and listen, I am being so practical this morning, so please listen, 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 because I know that this is 100% appl application for everybody sitting in this room at some point in your life. If you try to deal with conflict when you're hurt or when you're angry, you're gonna blow it. You're gonna say things that you don't wanna say, you're gonna do things that you don't wanna do, and after your emotions subside, you're gonna be filled with regret because you hurt people you love. And there's some people who decide to deal with conflict while they're hurt and they're angry, and they're sitting in the penitentiary somewhere. And they'll be there, they'll be there for years. Okay, and so there's a better way. What's the remedy? The remedy is be prayerful. And so not if you get into a conflict, but when you get into a conflict and you start to feel the anger rising. Now, can we just be truthful with each other? Can we be real in church, right? How many of you guys have been in a situation where you've been in a conflict and you feel anger rising up in your, please, please raise your hand. I'll raise two. Okay, so the anger is rising. So here's what you do not do. When you feel the anger rising, do not speak, do not tweet, do not text, do not blog, do not email, 
And for God's sake, don't Facebook about it. All right? When you feel the anger rising, what do you do? Go for a walk and pray and bring God into it from the very beginning. This will help you cool down and this will help you experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And so while you're out doing your prayer walk, just say something like this, Lord, I am so angry. You say, you pray like that? Yeah. I don't read religious prayers. I talk to God like he's my best friend because he is my best friend. And so here's what you do. You say, you say, Lord, I am so angry right now. Please help me not to blow it. I don't wanna misrepresent you. I don't wanna hurt the people that I love. And so I don't wanna do anything I wanna regret later. Please give me your peace. <laughs> Please help me to calm down. And God, I surrender myself in this situation to you. How many of you guys know God will jump all over that prayer? Now, he'll do that for your life. I don't know if he's gonna do it for the person who's mad at you. But if you'll humble your heart and pray that way and confess any wrongdoing that you had in the conflict, God, God's all over that. So be prayerful, and then number two, be attentive. I love James, he's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Lots of wise sayings in James. And so James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to speak. Is that what it says? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But what do, you, well, what do people usually do in conflict? They're quick to speak and they're slow to hear. <laughs> Just the opposite. It's you did this, well you did that, well you said this, well you said that, and they begin to talk over each other, they begin to scream at one another, and then before you know it, they're calling each other names. What's the remedy? The remedy is be prayerful and be attentive. And so after you've gone for your prayer walk, and emotionally you've cooled down, spiritually you've experienced God's peace, you go back to whoever it is, spouse, coworker, Son, teenage son or daughter, whatever it may be, you go back to that person, you find a good time to settle the conflict. And once both parties are agreeable for this sit down, and by the way, you can't force yourself, you can't force yourself on anybody, you can't force anybody to do anything they don't, they don't wanna do. Some people, I've been in situations before where um, there's been conflict and I, I've tried to reconcile it and it's like, no way, and so what do you do? There's nothing you can do except just forgive the person from your heart and pray for them. Okay, and so if there is an agreeable time to sit down and talk about it, you gotta remember James, be quick to hear. As you're sitting down with a person, be quick to hear and be slow to speak. This is why God created us, you've heard this before, with two ears and one mouth. He wants us to do twice as much listening as speaking, right? Did you guys know that we can learn a lot? We can find some great communication techniques from a, a fast food drive-through. Now just stay with me here, okay? But I, I, I wanna help you. So there you are, you're starving. Maybe you're coming home from work, you're driving down St. Lucie West Boulevard and there it is the new Chick-fil-A. Yes, it's here, finally. How long have we been praying for this, right? 
We don't have to go all the way down to, to Jensen Beach or we're all the way up to Fort Pierce. It's right here in our own backyard, okay? So, so, so you pull into the Chick-fil-A drive-through. You go up to the, the window and you hear this little voice come out, you know, something like, welcome to Chick-fil-A. May I take your order? You're excited because you know that Christian chicken is amazing. <laughs> this is awesome. Welcome to Chick-fil-A. May I take your order? Yes, I would like a number one deluxe without a pickle, fries, and an unsweet tea. The voice comes back. That's a number one deluxe without a pickle, fries, and an unsweet tea? Yes, that's correct. Would you like any dipping sauces with that? Yeah, I think I'll have 20 of the Chick-fil-A sauces. They're so good, right? No, I'll just make that two. Okay, so that's a number one deluxe without a pickle, fries, unsweet tea, two Chick-fil-A sauces. Will that be all? Yes. All right, it comes to $8.41. Please drive up to the window. Now, did you guys notice how clearly the communication was in that conversation? So clear. Four things. Number one, only one person spoke at a time. No interrupting. Number two, both parties listened very closely. Number three, one person repeated back what the other said for clarification. And then number four, both parties respected each other. You say, what are you saying, Pastor Mike? What I'm saying is that maybe we should use this drive-through technique when we're trying to resolve conflict in our lives. Maybe we should just make this part of our lives. Okay, so the next time you're trying to resolve a conflict, number one, only one person speaks at a time. No interrupting, no talking over each other. Because here's the thing, we're, we're self-centered beings. How many of you guys know this? And so it's our point of view, and that's all we can see is our point of view, and so we're gonna run over people to get our point of view across, and we're not right with God. And so only one person speak at a time. Now, sometimes some, some, um, conflict gets so emotional that I, I know that, I'll go to marriage here for a second, even though this is way more than just marriage, but uh, some couples have, have actually adopted what's called the stick technique because they can't stop interrupting each other, so they'll go outside and they'll get a stick. And so what happens is that, guys, the ladies always go first, and so you give your wife the stick first, and as long as she's got the stick, guys, you're not allowed to talk. You cannot talk. And she can talk all that she wants. And all the guys are glaring at me like, I'm gonna kill him, <laughs> right? But this is true. And then when she's done, then she gives the stick to you. Now it's your turn. And ladies, you can't interrupt. Now the only problem with the stick te technique is that some couples wanna use it as a weapon. <laughs> and you can't do that. So I've, I've, I've changed it to the straw technique. It's hard to hurt somebody with a straw. Definitely don't get a kitchen knife, you know? You don't wanna do that, all right? And so just one person at a time. The second thing is listen closely, just like a Chick-fil-A or Burger King or whatever. Listen closely. I remember one time having a debate with somebody, this is years ago, and um, I talked and then the person was talking and I was looking over their head and I was formulating my response. 
not listening to a word they were saying. And you know what? They saw it and they called me out and I was guilty as charged. Don't formulate your response while the other person is talking. Listen intently. So one person speaks at a time, listen closely, and then one person repeats back. So they're done talking and you say, okay, so what you're saying is this, this, and this? Yes. All right. So there's actual communication, healthy communication going on. And then both parties need, need to remain respectful. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no interruptions, there's no yelling, there's no name calling, and there's no regrets. Some people say, and I've heard this, I can't help myself, I'm just a yeller. And I'm not buying it, right? Because what happens when you're in an argument and the phone rings, right? You're in an argument, I can't believe you, I am sick of you, ring, hello. <laughs> you can control yourself, okay? So be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be prayerful, be attentive. Next point, be selfless. I really think this is like the most convicting, one of the most convicting passages in all the New Testament. And by the way, you want a counterculture verse? It's right here. This is exactly the opposite of our social media immersed American culture right here. Here we go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, what's the word? Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Wow, dude, does our country need this right here? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interest or to the interests of others. All right, so the first, we're gonna break this down. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So during a conflict, the self-centered person, the person who thinks that everything revolves around them, they've got a point of view and they're gonna dig in and they're gonna go to war for their point of view. They don't care how many people they hurt, they don't care how much damage is done, they're gonna get across their point. And here's what happens, marriages break up, families break up, friendships break up, churches split. And the question is, is it worth it? because of selfish ambition and conceit? We're not talking about Christian doctrine. We're talking about other issues. So it's okay to give a little. Don't be a right fighter, right? Because you're gonna lose the relationship and try to be right. You don't always have to be right. Again, I'm not talking about Christian doctrine here, so please don't send me emails. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. As we attempt to resolve conflict, what if we did this? What if we tried to see the person the way God sees them that we're in conflict with? If you're with me, say amen here. In case you're in conflict with somebody, what if you tried to see that person as God sees them? What if before you had your sit down talk with this person, you prayed, Lord, this person is so valuable. God, this person is made in your image. God, you love this person and they're your child. So help me to honor them, even in conflict. What if we did that? My pastor, uh, personally, he, he says, I'm not your pastor, I'm your friend, but I still consider him my pastor. 
He's on our board of directors. He's the pastor of Calvary Jupiter, uh, Dan Plord. I just had lunch with him on Friday. Um, God's blessing their ministry. They're building a 35,000 um, uh, 35, square foot sanctuary there in Jupiter. And I got to go see um, the construction going up and I'm excited for their ministry. But he, he tells the story that early in his marriage with Cheryl, so now we're going back uh, well over two decades ago, that him and Cheryl got into a dispute and he slammed his hand on the table. I think he may have broken the table or something, but he goes out in his, in his, in his van and he just drives down 95 to cool off. He's trying to cool off. And as he's driving down 995, he says, the Lord spoke to my heart. And the Lord said, don't forget, Dan, Cheryl's my little girl. And you gotta know Dan and his sense of humor, but his prayer back to the Lord was, can you please remind her that I'm your little boy? <laughs> but listen, guys, your wife, that's God's little girl. And ladies, your husband, that's God's little boy. That's God's little man. They're made in the image of God. Let's treat each other with honor and respect, even in conflict. Then he says, let each of you look not only on his own interest, but on the interest of others. In our conflict resolution, what if we didn't just focus on our own interests? What if we didn't just focus on our own point of view? What if we actually thought about their point of view for a minute? I know this is hard, but, but what if we actually tried to get into their shoes? What if we actually tried to understand where they're coming from? What could happen? It's what spirit-filled people do and it's what honors God. Be prayerful, be attentive, be selfless. Last point, be forgiving. Be forgiving. You say, why, that, why is that so important? Because ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your sins will not be forgiven. It's important. You gotta forgive from your heart. Even if the other person does not wanna reconcile, or even if the other person is so toxic and making bad decisions that you, you can't hang out with them, you still have to, have to, have to forgive the person from your heart. G, uh, Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so Peter, you remember the story? He goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? You remember this? Peter thought he was being so generous. You know, my brother, I don't know if he's talking about his Christian brother or Andrew, his physical brother, but man, he's getting on my nerves. He keeps messing up. How many times do I gotta forgive this guy? Seven times? That's a lot, Lord. And Jesus said, no, not up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, what if Jesus would have used the same math formula that Peter was using? What if Jesus was counting Peter's sins and Peter tells a lie and, and Jesus says, Peter, that's number seven. One more, I'm done with you, right? Aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, that God doesn't stop at forgiving us seven times? Aren't you happy about that? I am. I am so happy about that. What does Christ do? Christ forgives all. Everybody say all. All our sins, past, present, future. It's abundant forgiveness, and he wants us to extend the same forgiveness to other people. Why? Because he's forgiven us. 
we have been class A jerks. And the Lord says, I still love you and I forgive you. So I don't care how much of a jerk this person is being, you've got to forgive them from your heart. And if you don't, God will not forgive your sins and you'll be out of fellowship with the Lord. So what does abundant forgiveness look like? 70 times seven. Again, it's not a math formula. The Lord doesn't say count up to 490 times. No, he's not saying forgive 490 times. He's saying forgive all the time. So if you're in a conflict, follow the steps laid out by Jesus in Matthew 18. And as you're following the steps, be prayerful, be attentive, be selfless, and be forgiving. 